Before we get started, I want to tell you about one of our awesome new sponsors, Ebles. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, except all those aches and pains that creep up as the weather gets cooler, or God forbid you pull a Clark Griswold while putting up the lights. But what if there's a way to be able to enjoy the cold weather of the holiday season without the associated bodily aches and pains? Well, imagine no further as Evil's CBD Topical Freeze Gel is here to the rescue. Whether it's to help that nagging shoulder injury from sports ball game of yesteryear, or it's to help alleviate those deep aches and pains CBD Topical Freeze Gel from Ebels offers the industry best quality and strength to offer lasting relief from chronic pain. And this holiday season, all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience can get that perfect gift to self or stocking stuffer for that fitness fanatic in the family at an exclusive discount at checkout using code TBNS. Again, use code TBNS at checkout to get your discount applied to your order. Listen, the holidays are especially tough this year, so let's at least not spend them in pain. So use code TBNS at checkout to see the evil's difference today. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. A day late and a dollar short, but nonetheless, you have a show here from The Brian Nichols Show. Merry Christmas, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you for spending part of your holiday season with yours truly here on, yes, another fantastic conversation with another phenomenal guest. And today's guest is Grant McCracken, cultural anthropologist. And today we are talking about his brand new book, which I cannot recommend enough. It is The New Honor Code, A Simple Plan on Raising Our Standards and Restoring Our Good Names. A great conversation to talk about why we, not only as libertarians, but as a society should really have higher standards when we're talking about how we engage in social constructs and also how we engage with each other. So as always, if you enjoy the conversation today, please be sure to share it with family and friends. But with that being said, on to the show. Hello, Grant McCracken here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well, Grant. Thank you so much for joining The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, definitely excited. We have a uh, the opportunity today to talk about your brand new book, The New Honor Code, A Simple Plan for Raising Our Standards and Restoring our good names, and it's funny because uh, I was actually uh, brought to, uh, from, uh, brought, uh, you were rather, brought to me, here we go, uh, from a, a PR guy who represented our one of our former guests, Kevin Vallier, um, who he actually represented last year for his book, uh, Must Politics Be War, and uh, he said, hey, Brian, I was listening to your show, and I think I have a great guest in, in Grant McCracken because you're focusing on, uh, you know, so Kevin was focusing on trust, you're focusing on honor, which I think Honor is is absolutely a fundamental aspect that we need to embrace as we're going through trying to build trust, right? So uh, I guess with that being said, Grant, let's kind of start off here. Introduce yourself to the Brian Nichols Show audience and kind of explain what was it that got you really involved into this political world looking at uh, honor as it pertains to our political discourse and social discourse. Uh, you bet. Um, I was trained as an anthropologist um, at the University of Chicago just at the time when anthropologists were now in a position to study American culture. So that's what I've been doing for 20, 30 years. And as I've undertaken that study, many changes have happened, one of the most striking of which is the extent to which bad behavior seems to blossom everywhere. It seems sometimes as if 
uh, people have forgotten uh, how to uh, how to choose good behavior and how to avoid bad behavior. And I thought to myself, you know, this, you know, you think about a guy like Nassar, the gym coach, or Epstein, you know, the keeper of God knows what he was the keeper of, but people who behaved scurrilously, I mean, about as bad as a human being can behave. And, and you think to yourself, was there nothing inside these people? Was nothing in their head or their heart or their soul that said, maybe this is not a, a good idea? I was interested to see Baker Mayfield um, was on ESPN last week and volunteered this opinion. He said, um, anytime I feel the urge to do something idiotic, I decide not to. Oh, Dwight Schrute. <laughs> he, he, he pulled one from Dwight Schrute. And I think the, the formal quotes, I'm a huge fan of The Office. It is, uh, whenever I'm about to say something, then an idiot would say, I ask myself, would an idiot say that? And if the answer is yes, <laughs> I do not do that thing. And, and that's uh, 100% Dwight Schrute. But it's funny you say that because that is interesting, yeah. right? You know, we're, we're starting to hear a little bit of a rising up. You know, folks like Baker Mayfield or even like, you know, Chris Pratt, uh, you know, out there in Hollywood, not towing the the traditional narratives that are promoted. And it's interesting because those people, I think they are starting to get more attention on them and actually for the right reasons. Right. Right. And I think for a long time, we've admired uh, celebrities for their willingness to do nutty things and to conduct themselves without much regard for the damage they do to the people around them. And, and there, and it feels as if we're now looking at a moment of kind of celebrity fatigue where we, we've kind of had enough. And I think coming out of this recent election where they presume to lecture us from the safety of their citadels, that to, uh, and I guess the famous case in point here is Madonna doing a, a tribute to Aretha Franklin and managing to mention herself 77 times and Aretha Franklin exactly twice that this was enough to make some people say, maybe we're admiring the wrong people. So anyhow, when I set out to write this book, I, I found myself looking at, uh, at people around me, teachers and, and uh, a, a woman who teaches writing and, and a guy who sells cheese and a state trooper and a, a variety of people. And I could see them behaving in, in honorable ways. And I thought, you know, this is... This suggests that honor is alive and well in American culture. It's not much talked about. It's never talked about by celebrity culture, by Hollywood, or by any of those elites, right? It's, it's in fact, regarded as kind of antique and embarrassing mm. and actually not something to be taken very seriously, not something that becomes you. It doesn't make you hipper uh, when you're honorable. But it's clear that for some people, it matters still a lot. And, and for those, it makes, it gives them that interior voice that says, maybe what I'm about to do is not the right thing to do. Maybe I should think again. Yeah. One of the things I came upon in the book was <clears throat> this uh, interview with a woman who had been sexually abused at a big company in New York City. And, and she's, and the quote they give from her is these people, uh, she's talking about high level executives. These executives felt like they could do anything they wanted to you, that you had no rights and they had uh, were entitled just to treat you badly um, without apology or even any awareness that they were doing something dubious. So there is a kind of rising tide of bad behavior. And I thought, well, maybe I'd studied honor in graduate school in the context of Elizabethan England. And I thought, you know, maybe we could dust this off and re-engineer it and roll it out again and see what happened. Well, in my entire, uh, you know, I wouldn't say my entire audience, but I say a majority of my audience tends to be more in the libertarian, conservatarian sphere of influence. And I right. think it's important, right, to have this conversation because there are, 
is too often, I would say, towing a fine line between libertarianism and libertine and, and kind of just uh, doing right what you want yeah. because you can do it. And and yeah. that right there, we know we need to have honor. And that actually goes to you know this underlying there needs to be kind of this this code, this unspoken understood understood code of ethics that you just yeah. you, you need to have the honor, the morality, the trust. And that's yeah. really the underpinnings of society, I think, that we are starting to realize are not only very important, but I would say they are fundamental and we're missing yeah. out right now. So when you're talking about honor, let's kind of look at where we are right now in 2020, right? There sure. is, I think, again, a desire to see some voices start to stand up despite, yes, there have been, as to your point, you know, the, the traditional examples of the, the business executives taking advantage of their, their employees and so forth. And I think, you know, we, we need to make sure we're encouraging folks to, to stand up against that. But what do we need to do? What's some action items, some tangible steps that my audience can take away here to help encourage folks to live a more honorable lifestyle? Does it start with focusing on themselves or does it maybe start, uh, you know, the Jordan Peterson approach, the, uh, the clean your own room first? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a matter. I see honors having two faces. It looks inward and it looks outward. When it looks inward, it's a matter of self-respect. So you say to yourself when you're on, the, you're an executive at uh, a New York corporation and you're on the verge of doing something uh, discreditable, dishonorable, and you say, you listen for a shadow of a doubt. You listen to some part of you uh, say, uh, no, actually, this is not the way a boss behaves. It's, the, the good news here, this is the anthropologist talking, is that in any given social moment, we're occupying a social role. And every social role comes with social rules. So if you have a role, you have some rules. And if you're an executive working in a New York uh, corporation, your role as, 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 the, as somebody's boss is to support them, uh, to promote their career, to do what you can to bring them along. Nowhere in those rules does it say you may sexually abuse this person. Um, and that's the moment when we hope for that kind of shadow of a doubt. When you violate that rule, I think, when you behave in contravention of those rules, you cost yourself honor. And no one can see that, but you can see it and you can feel it. And I think there remains in us still a moral code that says when you act in a, in, in, in a, in a violent or an abusive uh, way, it costs you your self-regard. And that costs you the, you know, that's a, that's a critical, that's a precious fund of, of self-esteem that sustains everything else you do. And if you, if, if you corrupt that fund of self-esteem, you diminish your ability to do everything else you do. So that, that's kind of the inward uh, piece of, of honor. Um, the outward piece is something like a reputation economy, right? You do good things in the world. People see you do those good things in the world, and they give you props. They give you, they give you that recognition. Oh, here's a, so I have a neighbor who's volunteered to create Little League Baseball <laughs> and other things. Right. It's not it's not glamorous, but it's extraordinarily useful to kids. Anybody who's been through Little League knows how precious that experience was for them. So here's a guy who volunteers over and over and over again. He gets almost no outward credit. And I think that's a terrible mistake. There ought to be a reputation economy that says Bob has done this and this and this. And we give him credit for that. We give him standing in our community. We honor him for these gestures, for these contributions to a common good. So it's inward looking and it's outward looking. And I guess, can I just throw something in here, this on the libertarian issue? <clears throat> for yeah, me, 
to the extent that I understand the libertarian point of view, and I, I hope I do, um, it seems to me a libertarian is always hoping that the individual will be able to accomplish for themselves what we would normally ask this, the state uh, to do. Um, and, and, and I think that's where honor comes in precisely to the extent that it serves us is this compact code um, installed in every individual. Once we know that code is there and active, the state can back away. The church, to some extent, can back away. All of these grand institutions can stand down a little bit because they know they've installed a kind of a discipline, um, a practice, a moral practice, a, a moral compass in the individual, and they can kind of take it from there. And then as libertarians, we're always interested to see how things scale up, what happens when you have all these individuals engaged in all these activities, things, institutions grow up. Um, and that, but that happens down the road. But I, it seems to me honor could be a really good seedbed, um, a way of uh, inspiring the behavior of lots of individuals acting as individuals, and then we'll see what comes from that. Yeah, and you you started to mention uh, religion, and and that was my brain was going there as we were talking because I've seen also you know, and I think it's actually Ben Shapiro who's been really bringing this up on his show, um, talking about how as you've watched there has been a removal of religion from the mainstream American narrative. We've seen more and more of this kind of uh, appeal towards the celebrity and, and this appeal towards what we think it means to be successful instead of focusing really on those tangible things that we could look, I, I would say, you know, having a meaningful life, having, you know, a family, having a successful off, you know job and such, building value in your community. Like, those are things that, now are almost rare to, to find somebody looking for those th certain things. But mm. I think mm. also if you were to talk to your average person, I mean, you listen to, uh, there's a band called AJR. They talk about like, a you know, the Instagram going to your Instagram and thinking that that is kind of the real world. But it's not, it's not the real world. And to the contrary, you see a lot of people trying to create these, these fake worlds and, and that's the present there, what they present on, on these screens. And, and that's kind mm. of what our world becomes is this yeah. fake very, um, very framed world instead of talking about, again, the things that really do matter. So I guess, you know, when we apply this to politics, because this is what we're trying to do here at the show is, is when we take these, these issues and we apply them to the political narratives and trying to actually make some change, you know, I think there is a desire in the political electorate for some type of honor. Uh, we saw a resounding rejection this election cycle of Donald Trump uh, with the increase in votes for Joe Biden that put him ahead of even Barack Obama in vote totals for most mm -hmm. ever, which is, you know, absolutely insane. But I think that speaks to there is a desire for folks looking for somebody out there to be that honorable figure. So I guess if we're looking forward to 2022, 2024 and beyond, Grant, where can we as the, the folks in the political um, the political arena, where can we start to navigate to be the the honor focused candidates and really get people to trust that they can put their vote in us and in that put their trust in our instilling our end of the bargain and maintaining our honor? Mm. I think to some extent we can say, <clears throat> excuse me, that honor um, you know, was so robust 400 years ago and then began to be diminished and, and um, sometimes scorned and, and, uh, uh, um, and refused. Um, eventually, it's, it, it seems to me it took refuge in a couple of institutions, uh, in the military, 
in first responders, police forces, um, those uh, uh, first responders in the medical community, those are people who define themselves as making extraordinary efforts on behalf of other people. And yes, of course, we honor them for some purposes. And, you know, that cliche rolls off us very easily. Oh, yes, good on you, uh, first responders. Um, but it's not clear to me that we give full credit to those people for the sacrifices they make, but we have something to learn from them. And I read, you know, I wanted to get a, a, a sense of how, uh, it, if indeed it's right to think <clears throat> that, on, that the military has been the refuge, the place that honor took refuge while it was being scorned by the rest of us. I thought, you know, I'm a Canadian. I come by birth and upbringing. I come from a country that doesn't really have much of a military. Its military is roughly the size of Thailand's military. So it's not a, it's not a big part of of the national uh, conversation, but right. so I thought, how how do I how do I find out more about this? And 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 I made some good contacts, and I got some good advice, and I read you know Tom Cotton's book about his uh, experience in the old guard, as they call it, the people who keep um, the cemetery at Arlington, and it's all about it's fascinating reading because it's all about how absolute adherence to a very particular ritual is the only way you can honor the sacrifice of the dead. So you get glimpses of honor in our culture in a way that's extraordinarily robust. And I think it means, to, to answer your question now, that the people who have come out of those communities maybe have a leg up. So a guy like who, who Tom, I'm not making a recommendation of Tom Cotton, um, but clearly a guy like Tom Cotton comes out of that experience changed and, and augmented um, and, and is now on intimate terms with this notion of honor. And that, that, that may be one, one way for us to find the people who, who get the proposition. Yeah, well, it's interesting because now that you're talking about honor and I start to think of just going through life and the different organizations that you become a part of and such, there almost always is some type of like honor code or or something that you you almost swear to when you join us. Like if you're on a football mm -hmm. team, right? You know, you're you're a football yeah. team, you're you're a brotherhood, and you you look out for your brothers. Uh, you know, if you think if, if your workplace, I know you know a lot of workplaces they look at each other as a family, right? And with it the, the sense of honor, especially the smaller, you know, this family local businesses and such. So you start yeah. to see this as you have I mean in the gym, take it as is microcosm in the gym. I used to, you know, help work in, in gyms and such. And you have gym bro culture and, and Right. Even in that, there is like this this honor code, like put your weights away and stuff. Like it's and it's so silly, right. but there are these kind of like these rules that are established and like those standards that are set based on where you are. I think that's very interesting because even in some of those instances, I would dare say that they're not they're not really you know codified. It's just more of like unspoken rules. It's like what are you doing? Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Like how how did did those kind of honor codes just kind of pop up out of nowhere like that? Yeah. I think we're a culture that does one thing particular. Well, we do a number of things well, but one of the things we do well is individualism. And I think libertarians especially love the fact that American culture is a place that encourages individuals to do what they will, to take their leave of conventions, to make themselves up, to make their worlds up. And marvelous, magical thing, the Silicon Valley comes from people tinkering in garages, right? Just hoping a prayer, flying by the seat of their pants. And before you know, it's an entire industry. So that's a great strength of of American culture. And it's the great strength of, we have that strength because we are individualistic and we're prepared to let people go their own way. On the other hand, there's kind of a dark side to individualism. And it's this notion uh, that in installed in some individuals that they really don't have to put the weights away. 
that really every the world turns on them, that everything exists for their comfort and their the, delectation. The, um, you ever heard the, the shopping cart analogy? Um, you know, the, no. the people. So there's this great uh, debate out there, and, and it, one looks no further than you go to your, your average grocery store parking lot, and the person, if they put the cart into the little carousel away, or they leave the cart next to their car on the side, and, and right. that, that that's like the ultimate this moral kind of again looking at is the person going to put the weights away right it's it's interesting because that's right. something that you know i think an average person can exactly right. relate to because you've probably had that that yeah. oh, man that, that that little carousel is a little far you know do i really it's raining <laughs> outside do i really want to go right. ahead and carry my car right. all the way back so it's interesting yeah, yeah that, that, that that is that it does carry through yeah yeah so the question is is it all about you and clearly some people do believe it's all about them right you watch the way they conduct themselves in public and it's it's the the self adoration is is unbearable it just comes often in waves so but again i think libertarians care about that selffulness right we know great mm-hmm. things come from people who care extraordinarily about sure. themselves and make their own choices um so it's as i say it's a, it's it's a mixed kind of blessing and honor just says, hey, dial it back a little. Attend to some of the things that look like a common good, even as you pursue your own uh, your your own uh, approach to things. Yeah. And I wanted to you move as we move forward here. One of the things I am curious about, because we did see a little bit, right, just a little bit of some backlash with the 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 honor being violated from, you know, I'd say what we we're talking about before this this Hollywood culture in like this Me Too era. And we saw this start right. to to. to kick up and it has kind of transformed overall to this this massive overall look at cancel culture i think that's the approach we see right, right now and i wonder right so is this cancel culture that we, we talk about and i know folks especially on the right you know you talk to your average conservative and they're like cancel culture is the bane of our existence and i'm yeah. curious because you're starting to see some more and more voices like your jk rowling's your matthew mcconaughey's who i think would be more traditional moderate leftists who are or moderate liberals as they maybe mm-hmm. identify they're saying enough like we we can identify when it's time to to, to recognize when people are being bad people versus right. like trying to destroy someone based on them not holding a contemporary opinion, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, some part of cancel culture is absolutely terrifying. And I think especially of uh, the Kavanaugh hearings where they went at that guy in, and engaged in acts of character assassination with no regard for the truth it was of the terrible. Matter, what damage yeah. it would do to him or damage it would do to his family. So that was uh, that was horrifying. And and absolutely in contravention of a kind of honor approach to thing, which says you assume people have conducted themselves honorably and right. un- until that's proven otherwise. And indeed, it's kind of your job to honor people's honor, because otherwise, how can we hope uh, for people to engage in honorable behavior if they if 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 it doesn't protect them from precisely this kind of character assassination? So here's a guy who presumably has engaged has in- it- it conducted himself with dignity. And to be treated that way in the public stage, in the full view of his daughters, I mean, it's it's a horrifying thing. Yeah. Um, so so I couldn't agree more about this criticism of cancel culture. On the other hand, I think it's sometimes true that honor says if you sufficiently misbehave yourself, we as an honor community are obliged to kind of pull your ticket. 
So a guy like Lance Armstrong, right, behaved himself, misbehaved himself extraordinarily, did tremendous damage to the sport, accused other people of doing the things he was guilty of, uh, refused to be reined in until the proof was absolutely there. He was pushed from the public eye, and you know that he's now uh, planning his return, right? He's, 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 he wants to stage a comeback. On the grounds, presumably, I haven't seen the details here, but I'm sure he thinks, listen, America says it's a place of second chances, you know, and, and lots of people, we see lots of people get to come back after a fall. And I think that's maybe one thing we want to rethink. I, I, I think if you behave that badly, uh, you're, you're done, uh, right? It, 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 Lance Armstrong had honor. He squandered it. He corrupted it. He corrupted a sport. You know, you think about all the people who didn't win medals, win medals at the Olympics, or or didn't came almost won the Tour de France, except there was a guy who was doping the way he was doping. Um, those people, you know, live live very different lives for the fact that there was a dishonorable person in their midst. So it seems to me it's wrong to allow him to undergo this rehabilitation. We should say, listen, dude, you're done. You're out. And, and, and that, I think, creates the shadow of, of a doubt that we're looking for. So that when people like Lance Armstrong think, should I, should I dope? Um, the answer should be, you know, this, is, this could cost me my reputation um, and my, my career and my future. Uh, and that might be, if people won't do the right thing for the right reasons, I'm quite happy to get them to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, right? To protect their, right, their, their career and their, and, and their celebrity. Um, so we should make bad behavior pay, or, or cost, rather. Um, and, and, and so I think, yes, uh, cancel culture is wrong, especially when it's being done for political reasons and with no foundation. But when I think there is a foundation for, something, for somebody acting badly, I think, you know, punching their ticket, uh, withdrawing their pu our public admiration of them is, is perfectly okay. So I have to be devil's advocate because that's what I have to do here in the show, um, being the host, Please. of course. And so what is then the road to redemption? Because I think, you know, you, you, you touched on it, right? We are the, the land of second chances that it kind of is the, um, the appeal, I'd say, to America. So for somebody like a Lance Armstrong, right? Because we can't, I mean, I guess we can, we can say, listen, Lance, you, you've lost your honor. We don't, we don't trust you now, but we can't, I guess, unperson or dehuman him. He still exists in society. So how could, Someone like a Lance Armstrong, I guess, in this case, right? How could they have some path, I guess, a road to somewhat of redemption to be a member of society again, if, if, if that mm. makes sense? Yeah, you yeah, know, totally. Um, and it's a great question, and I don't have a ready answer. It's all, this is all anthropology, looking at culture and thinking about how to change culture. It's like an act of engineering, right? You're saying, okay, what are the stresses and the possibilities and the tensions and the contradictions uh, how do we work? How do we make this new moral code work? Uh, and I'm not, I, I, the book does not contain an answer to that question. So I, I wish you'd read the manuscript instead of the final form. <laughs> but I can see somebody saying, you know, it's, it's a little like certain churches, I think, are pretty good at specifying what you need to do to get back into the grace of God or, or the church. And so I think we've got lots of precedents there, and we could say, okay, how would this church deal with this problem? And if it's good enough for Rome, um, uh, uh, it's, it, 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 it could work for us. Um, and, and, and here's what it would look like then for Lance Armstrong. How much social, public, moral good would he have to create 
to return the scales to balance. And I, you know, I think there's a chance he can't do it. Mm. Um, I think there's a chance that no amount of social good construction creation. What if Livestrong? What if Livestrong solves cancer? <laughs> well, sure. That, that that'd that's be crazy, right? That'd be like the moral, the moral honorific conundrum of the uh, the, the century. Yeah. yeah. And I guess we'd want to ask: Did did he really put his fortune? You know, some people are so wealthy they can make very generous gestures, but it doesn't really put their livelihood or, or uh, at, at at risk. So I would want to see him make extraordinary risks to accomplish that uh, uh, extraordinary accomplishment. Have you and ever, only then would I say, okay, maybe the guy's in, back in. Yeah, and I was just say, have you ever done any um like looking at the Amish by chance? I'm just curious. I have not. No, so I'm I'm from upstate New York, and and we have like the the, the most strict of Amish that there are pretty much. And, and they, I mean, the, the shunning out of the Amish society, it's, it's, it's a real thing. And it's, it's interesting right. because it, it does kind of go along with what we're talking about, right? This, this right. honor, this sure. code of honor that in, in the Amish culture that you, you are given a choice. There comes a point when you are entering into adulthood and you get to choose if you want to continue the Amish lifestyle or you go and join the Englishman. And, and right. when you go and join the Englishman, that's it. Like you're you're not a part of the Amish society anymore, and that is like the ultimate reason why it is such a big decision. Because once you go, there there is no turning back, and it does yeah. again go to kind of this. You know, you're talking about having these 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 very important decisions. That I think people do need to make in life. You know, it make those yes no. And, and this is one thing that's interesting about our society. We become a very indecisive society. Um, you mm. know, very status quo, wishy washy. Because I, I don't think people like being uncomfortable, right? And mm. and living by a, an honorific code, it requires you to be uncomfortable because it requires you to tell yourself no in many instances, mm. right? And I think that's very mm. interesting that you know right now in in the me 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 society that. There is a desire, right, for for folks mm. to go ahead and look for some alternatives. And, and with that being said, so Grant McCracken, the, the amazing uh, book that you have out, out here now, the, the new Honor Code, A Simple Plan for Raising Our Standards and Restoring Our Good Names. I want folks to be able to go ahead and uh, and find this amazing book. So I will make sure I include all the links in the show notes. Uh, and thank you, by the way, for uh, the, the, the book in advance. It was a great read. So uh, with that being said, when folks go ahead, what can they expect from, uh, I guess, from the start of the book to uh, to end? What are they going to go on this wild? adventure of uh, of learning all about honor i begin with the uh, harvard soccer team which behaved itself about as bad as human beings can can behave themselves it was the men's team ridiculing and diminishing the women's uh, team absolutely horrifying still more horrifying was the fact that eventually their behavior came to public attention and almost not almost everybody who had a job to do within the Harvard community failed to do that job and to bring these kids to account. Even the Harvard Crimson, which filled with bright and aggressive journalists, allowed, finally, the heat got so big that the, the soccer players were obliged to write a letter and put it in the Crimson. Um, but the Crimson allowed, in, but they insisted that they not sign the letter. So it's this paradox called an apology that's anonymous. And surely someone said, you know what? That's not the way apologies work. They're not, they don't do the work of apology unless you sign them. And they still got away with it. But the, that institution, which, you know, it's how many, f several hundred years old, charged with educating 
young Americans, uh, charged with that moral responsibility of setting the standard for so many other educational institutions, actually allowed this toxic culture to emerge and then did nothing to bring it to heal. So I think that's just one glimpse. And then there's a, a chapter on Wells Fargo where they were actually issuing credit cards in the names of people who didn't actually exist. And I mean, there's a, it's just amazing how much bad behavior there is. So, so then I go and say, listen, let's look at Elizabethan England. That's the last time honor culture was really robust in the West. And, and I studied, studied it for some years. So I have some sense of it. So I begin with Elizabeth I, the Queen of England, standing in a tiny field with a Spanish armada arrayed around her. They're preparing for their invasion of England, and everybody's terrified, especially these few soldiers who have been sent to rebuff the Spanish landing party when it comes. They're just terrified. And she stands before them and says... I have the heart of a lion. I forget the exact language now. Um, but she does this ferocious display of, of courage and determination. And then she says the magical words that make no sense to us now. She says, I will give you honor if you fight for me. And that makes perfect. Now, uh, Kate uh, Winslet tries to, to do, or one of the, one of the Cates, one of the Hollywood stars, tries to re repeat this historical moment, and they get it completely wrong. They completely botch it. Because you can tell the Hollywood writers look at this moment. We have a record of what she said, and they look at it, and it's all about honor. And it's her saying, I have honor. You have honor. I will augment your honor. This country stands for honor in the face of this Spanish aggression. This is how we do it. This is how she musters her courage and, and, and musters their willingness to go up against the odds, right? They're badly outnumbered. Um, so in the face of all of this, honor is instrumental, but the Hollywood scriptwriters have no idea what she's talking about. So they make a complete hash of it. But anyhow, in that moment, you can see honor operating. And in Elizabethan England, you can see honor operating. Um, it wasn't always a perfect way of, of making Elizabethan culture work well, but uh, but often it did. And so that's a chance, I think. That's, so I, I look at that and then say, okay, how much of this could we take for our own purposes? Honor. It's something that libertarians definitely can utilize too. And we ever get asked, you know, well, how are you going to maintain control of this uh, rampant free market, you wild libertarians? And we can say, well, with honor. <laughs> and they can learn more by uh, going ahead and reading this fantastic new book from Grant McCracken. Again, thank you again. The book will be included in the show notes. Grant, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for great questions. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo and his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So... Head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, available in your favorite podcasting app today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Grant McCracken. And what a great conversation it was here on this amazing 
Merry Christmas, yes, holiday special on The Brian Nichols Show. So if you guys enjoyed today's episode, as I said earlier, please do me a favor. Share with family and friends, but go ahead and make sure you get a purchase to this awesome new book, The New Honor Code, A Simple Plan for Raising Our Standards and Restoring Our Good Names, available on the 29th, yes, 2020. So it's coming out here very, very soon, and it's definitely worth a read. And guys, thank you so much for spending an amazing week here on The Brian Nichols Show. We had three amazing guests. Yes, uh, back on Monday, we had City Commissioner from Fargo, North Dakota, Tony Gehrig, he joined the program to discuss how the lockdowns are destroying small businesses, specifically looking at entrepreneurs in the uh, the restaurant and bartending industries. On Wednesday, we had Kurt Libertarian join us to discuss guerrilla politics and how libertarians can take on the duopoly and win. Yes, that qualifier is the most important part of that conversation. So Kurt joins the show. Hey, he says, hey, libertarians are underdogs. The game's rigged against us. So what should we do? Is it hopeless? Do we just give up? Or do we approach things in a different way? Kurt digs into that and more as we discuss his awesome new article, Guerrilla Politics. And then obviously today, our conversation with Grant McCracken. So if you guys enjoyed the episode you heard this week, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Please just go out of your way. Invite five friends to The Brian Nichols Show, whether it's going ahead and tagging five friends on a post, uh, you know, as we tweet our shows at B Nichols Liberty Twitter. Or on Facebook, invite five friends to the Brian Nichols Show uh, Facebook page at B Nichols Liberty on Facebook. Or go ahead and follow me on any platform, really. You go ahead and follow people on social media, Twitter, Facebook, yes, but also uh, Instagram, Parlor, and Minds.com. So, guys, if you haven't yet, try and help spread the word. Spread the message that we're doing all the, the work here at the Brian Nichols Show to sell liberty. And that's been the focus of what we've been trying to do here. And having these conversations that really do matter. And as we go into next week, as we wrap out, officially wrap out 2020, I forgot we had another week after uh, after Christmas. And again, I, I do apologize, by the way, for getting the, the show out. But hey, family comes first. And I'm up visiting some family in uh, not Philadelphia. So it's uh, nice to, uh, to be able to unplug for a little bit. So thank you to all the folks who did reach out and say, hey, Brian, episode question mark looking forward to it and i said don't worry i I, I know it's a day late but it's it's well worth the wait because it was a great conversation so uh anyways guys uh thank you again for an amazing christmas season i truly enjoyed uh the conversations here this week and i hope you guys had a a nice chance to unplug a little bit from the, the craziness and the chaos of the world and to really i guess talk to people about the things that matter and really the people who do matter and the people who are most close to us in our lives and that is our, our friends and family uh so if you guys uh did have a great holiday season i'm glad and if you didn't well listen it's on us to work together and to try and and make things better in our own lives but also uh, as us as a community to to reach out to each other to try and and help raise each other up so i'm gonna ask you if, if you had a rough christmas don't feel like it's it's something to be embarrassed of reach out talk to someone we're here to listen. Uh, you know, I, I always say, email me, brian at briannicholsshow.com. I'm here to listen to you. I, I care about you guys. You guys are not just my audience, but I don't know. You guys kind of turned this weird little family, right? And uh, I don't know, this weird little family. I'm a big fan. You guys at the Brian Nichols Show audience mean a lot to me. Uh, and I really, this Christmas, I'm, I'm truly appreciative of all the, the help and support that you guys have given us here as we were growing over the past three years. And, you know, to to you guys, I, I cannot thank you enough. So, um, you know, with that... Merry Christmas from myself, uh, my, my wife, my family, and of course, uh, all the great folks here behind the scenes at The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much for joining us here. And yes, another phenomenal week of amazing guests in The Brian Nichols Show. And who do you have looked forward to starting here on Monday? Representative Jeremy Faison from Tennessee. He is one of the top ranking Republicans in the uh, the state on uh, on Wednesday. Mark Claire from Lions of Liberty, that humble host over there, joined us on another phenomenal conversation talking about 
Yeah, some libertarian politics. And then on Friday, Nick Hudson from Panda, which makes it a point to focus on the COVID-19 pandemic data with a scientific lens with approach that will actually save lives and livelihoods. And I have a conversation with Nick Hudson, who is one of the uh, the head over there at Panda. So I had a fantastic conversation there to wrap up another great week of shows. If you haven't had the chance yet, hit subscribe over on your favorite podcast catcher. So you are not missing a single episode of The Brian Nichols Show. So guys, with that being said, thank you again for joining us on a fantastic holiday week here on The Brian Nichols Show. With that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Grant McCracken. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.